It's podcasting time! This is Just Another Jerk, Dispatches from Japan, a podcast about Armenia, that fascinating country in the Caucasus region of Central Eurasia, often noted for its wonderful music, including that of Autumn Kachaturian, like his saber dance. Mm, Okay, wait a minute, sorry, I think I... Oh, yep, got my notes mixed up. This is a podcast about Japan, right? Yeah, not Armenia. Mm -hmm. Anywho... Uh, yeah, I guess this is a podcast about Japan, and I'm pretty sure that I am your host, Jonathan Isaacson. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you fetch your podcasts from the internet, be it Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. I know there's at least one person out there listening regularly on Stitcher, so shout out to you, whoever you are, Stitcher listener. Please remember to rate, review, and share the podcast as well. The more you care, the more you share, right? I'm not going to say it ever again, I, I hope. So, where were we? Oh yeah, we're just getting started, right. So, I was thinking, you know what, self? It's been a minute since we've had an episode of everything you never wanted to know about Japanese history. And I was also thinking, you know what else, self? Most people listening don't really know that much of anything about Japanese history at all. So some of the references I have made in the past and probably will make in the future will probably need some unpacking. By the way, just kind of a little side note here. If you want to get little nuggets of Japanese history, check out the Twitter for this podcast. I've been tweeting historical facts of the day. Find out what happened today in Japanese history at just another cast over on the Twitters. So, for example, did you know that in the year 720 of the Common Era, on July 1st, the second oldest history of Japan, Nihon Shoki, or Chronicles of Japan, was completed under the supervision of Prince Toneri. Or that in 1995, on July 2nd, the final 5000 series train set of the Tokyo Toei subway made its final journey. Now, if you followed on Twitter, you could have learned all this already and much more. So, yeah, go find it on Twitter. Uh, So, yeah, anyway, I think most listeners of this podcast know not a lot about Japanese history. I mean, there's Pearl Harbor, Japanese internment camps, Japanese market domination of the 80s and early 90s. So really more how does Japan interact with the U.S. if you're American. And that's probably kind of it for a lot of people. So I thought it might be useful to give you a super, super brief rundown of some of the highlights of Japanese history, which will serve you well as we go on more and more in this and you hear more episodes of everything you never wanted to know about Japanese history. So let's start at the very beginning which is a very good place to start, as I have heard. So where do Japanese people come from? Where did people on the Japanese islands come from? There's no clear consensus. So there were land bridges back during the Ice Ages and whatnot, uh, up to the the Russian Far East, if you go up north past Hokkaido. All the islands were connected at that point. There weren't all the small islands, there weren't the four big islands and all the small, it was just one big land mass that was connected all the way up to uh, Russia and the Kamchatka Peninsula, if you look at a map. 
There were land bridges there. There was possibly a land bridge over to Korea or the Korean Peninsula. Um, even if there wasn't land the whole way, there were lower water levels meant that the 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 the, the distance between the Korean Peninsula and the, the the land that is Japan was much narrower. And even going down towards the south, towards Taiwan, probably lower water levels meant there might have been some land bridges and and the islands. You know, there wasn't as much water between all the islands. So people probably came from several locations. Some people came down from the Siberian uh, areas. Some people probably came across from the Korean Peninsula. Some people probably came up from the south. So, yeah, Japan really is, a, it was very mixed um, over the, you know, the Paleolithic era, going way, way back. So when we get to Japanese history, like Japanese history, it often starts with the Jomon culture, which some of the stuff I was just talking about, the Paleolithic, does predate the Jomon culture. But the Jomon culture really is kind of the beginnings, um, probably in part, too, because the Paleolithic people probably lived on the coastal areas. And this is the Ice Age, so the coastal areas were, you know, further out into now what is, well, now it's underwater. So a lot of the Paleolithic sites are probably completely inaccessible and all entirely gone. So the history that people know in Japan really starts with the Jomon era, which was concentrated more in the northern parts of of, uh, Japan. So like Hokkaido and Aomori have well-known Jomon sites. And the Jomon era begins in about 14,000 BCE. Some of the numbers say even earlier, 16,000. So a long, long time ago. And it lasted until about 300 BCE. And the Jomon people were hunter-gatherers. And they, are well, they were noted for uh, kind of the, the, one of the lasting uh, artifacts that people know in Japan of the Jomon culture are these dogu, which are these sculptures, these statues. Um, a lot of them are human-shaped, humanoid-shaped Um this is a long time ago, so you kind of you can imagine what these kind of things are, look look like if you think of ancient sculptures from other other uh, civilizations. They they are very distinct. They have their own style, but they they are very clearly representational of people. And those are some of the most well known artifacts of the Jomon culture. And as I say, they're hunter gatherers. Now. They may have some connection to some of the peoples of northern Japan. Uh, for example, the Ainu, who there are still Ainu to this day. Not a lot of them, and it's it's a it's a culture and a people that are in danger of completely disappearing. And another culture that has, by and large, at least as far as I can have ever seen, a culture that has completely disappeared is the Emishi. Now, there's some debate about the Emishi and Ainu. Are they connected? DNA evidence suggests that no, as well as some kind of some of the hunt, like the hunting styles that we know about the Emishi and the Ainu. Their hunting styles are very different. The Emishi were also very skilled riders. The Ainu don't really use any riding, horse riding or of any sort in their hunting. So culturally, they're also very different. So probably they're not direct connection directly connected there's probably some overlap you know intermarriage and whatnot but yeah so these are the peoples of the northern parts of japan and they are not they're not the modern japanese people 
Now, modern Japanese people are most likely descendants of the Yayoi. Well, we know they're descendants of the Yayoi people. Now, the Yayoi, they are much more well-established where they came from. The Jomon, we're not exactly sure because it's so long ago, and people have been in Japan for a long time. So, the Yayoi are almost assuredly who modern Japanese people descend from. The Yayoi came over from the Korean Peninsula, and they were an agricultural society, whereas the Jomon were a hunter-gatherer society. As I say, the, the, the vast majority of modern Japanese people are 90% similar to Yayoi, according to one study that came out, I think, 2019 is what I was reading. So modern Japanese and Yayoi are nearly genetically identical. Only 3.3% of genetic material in that, that study from 2019, only 3.3% of that genetic material comes from the Jomon. Now, this is Yamato Japanese. When I talk about Yamato, this is an important term to understand when we're talking about Japan, because modern Japanese people like to present this idea that Japan is this culturally, genetically homogenous society. And that's not exactly true. I mean, yes, there is a much higher uh, percentage of homogenous um, genetics and things, but it's not like it's 99%. There is a lot more variation than most people will let on. Now, Yamato refers to people who are this, the main ethnic group in Japan. Okay, this this 90% Yayoi blood, 3.3% Jomon, and then another, you know, 6 or 7% from other sources. So Yamato is to Japan what Han is to China, if you know your Chinese history and Chinese terminology. So Han Chinese are kind of the main ethnic group in China. Although it's a small it percentage-wise, it's smaller than Yamato in Japan. So and when I say Yamato, that's what I'm talking about. Well, that's one of the two uses of Yamato. Another is, we'll get to in a minute. But Yamato as an ethnic group, they are the majority of Japanese people. As I say, there are people up in the north, the Ainu, and there's some Emishi blood still in some of the people. And the Ryukyu, uh, Ryukyu culture down in the south is a different genetic, like, you know, a different uh, ethnic group. So, this leads up to what am I? What what am, I said there are a couple of different uses of the word Yamato. This leads me to the other use that we're talking about, and this is the Yamato court. Now, not like court of law court, like imperial court, you know, court of the king kind of the court. In the sixth century of the Common Era, the Yamato dynasty sets up in the area around Nara, which is Nara is down in the western part of. Uh, Japan, nearish Kyoto and Osaka, kind of that area, and the Yamato court, the Yamato dynasty, sets up their court in the area around Nara, and it's based on the Chinese imperial court of the time. This is the same family that is still to this day the Japanese imperial family. Japan claims, and rightfully so the longest line of succession, like of unbroken succession of a royal family. Official records kept by the Imperial Household Agency say that the line of succession goes all the way back to Emperor Jimu, the mythical founder of the country, of the 
the state of Japan, the nation of Japan, all the way back in 660 BCE. Now, the first 29 regents, the first 29 kings or emperors or whatever you want to call them, they have scant verifiable evidence by modern standards. If you want a little more um, kind of detail about this, check out the Himiko episode a few from like a month or so, two months back. And there's a little more information about this kind of stuff. I talk about that a little more with Tracy, my guest on that one. Now, the first definitive evidence we have of a emperor of Japan is Emperor Kimme in 539 of the Common Era. So that's still, you know what, 1,500 years ago. That's a long time. So back in the day, the Yamato were one of many, many tribes and they were the most successful and ended up taking over the majority of the country. Now, originally, they were in western Japan, and they kind of spread out to the east. And up in the north were the Hirsute barbarians. I keep seeing that word, Hirsute. Because the Yamato people are not a hairy people. If you've, if you've ever been to Japan, you'll notice there's not a lot of people with facial hair. And if you... It's genetic. Most Japanese people can't grow very good beards. It just They just don't do a very good job with it. Some people can. Maybe that's they've got some Ainu blood in them. Maybe they've got some Ryukyu blood because that's one of the kind of common commonalities between the people in the north and the south. They're hairier than the Yamato people. So, like I say, the original Yamato kingdom was in western Japan and they expanded to the east. The north was the barbarians, the Hirsute barbarians of the Emishi and then the people would go on to be the Ainu. Kind of a side note about orientation in Japan. I know a lot of Westerners, I mean, certainly I was this way growing up. When I looked at a map of Japan, I always thought of it as a north-south country. Because on a, on a Mercator projection of the world, it does look more north-south than anything. But it in Japan, people consider it east-west. Because the majority of people in Japan live between the Tokyo area and going out to the west, all the way down to Kyushu, which is the, I think it's the third largest of the islands. And it's the farthest kind of southwest of the big four islands. So Japan really is considered east-west, and then you've got the wilds of the north. And originally, eastern Japan, the Tokyo area, was a backwater. Western Japan, Kyoto... Nara, Osaka, that's where it was at. You know, this is going to get really long, so I'm making a decision right now. This is probably going to be a multi-parter. Um, we're not going to get through everything in one episode because trying to get, you know, several thousand, you know, of you just, I don't even know how many, several thousand years of history into a single episode, just not going to happen. I think today we're going to try to get up to the start of the Shogunate. Let's, we'll, we'll aim for that. So, yeah, a little more about ancient Japan or Wakoku, as it was known. You know, that, that's, the, that's the old name of Japan, Wa. Anyway, way, way back when the Yamato dynasty was just getting started, Japan was full of a whole bunch of tribes, and some of them were ethnically related and some of them were not. Now, way up in the north, like Hokkaido North, and maybe even maybe even the tips of, of Honshu, the biggest island, you had the groups that would go on to become Ainu, you know, in a few hundred, if not thousand years. 
You have the Emishi, which I mentioned before, in Tohoku, which is where I live now, which is kind of the north, northeast, I guess you could say. And if you've ever watched Mononoke Hime, uh, Princess Mononoke, the uh, animated film by uh, Miyazaki Hayao, so you've probably heard this term, Emishi. So in Miyazaki's world, the Emishi in Princess Mononoke, they were kind of the last pocket of this ethnic group in the the Yamato Japanese king world that, that was created in Mononoke Hime, in Princess Mononoke. So that's where the term Emishi comes from. It is an actual historical term in Japanese history. So there's, you know, if, if you're a fan of, of Miyazaki's movies, of the Ghibli movies, there you go. There's a fact for you. Like I say, they these groups were not the same as there they're, they're different ethnic groups than the Yamato. Now, if you go all the way down to the south, you have the Ryukyuans, and they're again another ethnic group. They are different than the Yamato. And all in between, you have all these other groups, including the Yamatai Koku, which is again the Himiko episode. Go check it out. Uh, the Yamatai Koku, which may be Yamato. Now, you can kind of see there is a lot of similarities. Yamatai, Yamato, they're very similar. So maybe they're the same. It's not entirely clear. But so the out the outlying groups, the Emishi, the groups that go on to be Ainu, the Ryukyuans, they didn't give up without a fight and to varying degrees of success, which is why for a long part of Japanese history, most of the islands of modern Okinawa, large areas of Tohoku and all of Hokkaido were not really under the control of the Japanese state. Many battles happened, including in 789 of the Common Era, when um, Aterui's Emishi army destroyed the army led by Prince Kino Kosami. whole bunch of men drowned in the river. There were the infantry, which is shitty because, you know, it's always the grunts who take the L for the team. But that's another fact you could have learned if you were following on Twitter. So go find it on Twitter, follow, learn Japanese history. So, eventually, the Yamato become the strongest of the group and take over more and more land and establish their capital in Nara. Nara is a very famous tourist site in Japan. Uh, there are these big temples you can find. There's, it's, it's considered the heart of Japan. It's the original source of where so much of Japanese history starts. And so they've, they've got their capital. The Yamato have their capital in Nara. They move around a bit. It's in Osaka briefly. It's in Kyoto. And eventually it settles in Kyoto after bouncing back and forth several times. So the Yamato are becoming more and more powerful. And other clan leaders, so not, not the Yamato, but the other clans, the other groups, are becoming daimyo. Now, Daimyo is another very important word to understand Japanese history. It's often translated into something akin to like warlord, but it might be better to think of them as something like a duke or an earl or what have you from Europe. So obviously they have a military importance, but they're also politically very important. Yes, some of them are out and out warlords. Some of them are more like, say, more like dukes and earls. And daimyo are very important through a lot of Japanese history. So 
like I say, some of these families, some of these clans, they're rising to prominence as kind of the main military arms of the now imperial Yamato family. Now, two in particular, two of these clans, two of these families rose to power, the Taira and the Minamoto. Now, again, Minamoto is one you may have heard. You may have heard this name. It does come up if you study even just a little bit of Japanese history. Now, anytime you have two powerful groups vying for ultimate power, bad things are going to happen. And this is all happening in the late 1100s, by the way. So just kind of give you a time reference here. So things kind of go on for a while. There's a, there, we could get into a lot of like small stuff. But again, this before this time, Japan's not really a country yet. It's just kind of coalescing. And by 1100, the late 1100s, it's pretty well established. And by this time, the Yamato dynasty, like I say, they're well established, but they're also becoming more and more cloistered and less kind of in control of the daily operations. And the military leaders, the shogun, are taking more and more control. And that's what the Genpei War is about. So you have the Taira and the Minamoto families duking it out for control of the country, essentially. Both clans, both the Taira and the Minamoto, had grown out of branches of the imperial family who were not eligible to ascend the Chrysanthemum throne. Because the Chrysanthemum throne is the, that, that's the name of the Japanese throne. That's what they call it. So all of these clans, the Minamoto, there's actually two branches of the, of the Minamoto and the Taira. So you actually have three, kind of three factions. All of these clans have... There's family ties if you go far enough back. So another kind of another note, this is uh, it's hard to do this in any kind of linear way because there's so many strands coming from so many directions. But let me just uh, mention something about like linguistically. So the way Japanese works as a language, both the family names, the, the, the Minamoto and the Taira family names, the clan names, they have other readings. The Minamoto clan is also known as Genji, and Taira is also known as Heike. It's really confusing. Trust me, if you learn Japanese, you'll want, you'll hate kanji for a while because there's so many readings, but eventually you, you kind of start to like them. They are really cool. Anyway, so yeah, the, the Genji and Heike. And there are two well-known classical Japanese books, for lack of a better word. So you have The Tale of Genji, which is perhaps one of the world's oldest novels. Um, and then you have The Tale of the Heike, which is actually more kind of a, a epic saga. Sometimes it's uh, likened to the Japanese Iliad. So Tale of Genji is about the Minamoto clan kind of tangentially. Like it, the, the main character is a member of the Minamoto clan. While The Tale of Heike which is like say, not as well-known as Tale of Genji, Tale of Genji, but it's still a, a famous Japanese saga. It is directly about the Genpei War, the war between the Minamoto and the Taira clans. So eventually, the Minamoto clan wins. And in 1185, the Minamoto shogunate is established, and the leader of the Minamoto family is the generalissimo for the emperor. So for another seven years or so, the head of the Minamotos, Minamoto no Yoritomo, he allowed the civil aristocracy and the emperor to kind of maintain their power more or less. 
But in 1192, Ikuni, so good country is kind of a, a mnemonic device for Japanese people to remember that. So in 1192, Minamoto no Yoritomo, he established the military government, and it's known in English as the Kamakura Shogunate. Now, Kamakura is a city in modern Kanagawa, which is not too far from Yokohama. This is now the military capital of Japan. So you can see this is in eastern Japan. This is kind of pulling the power away from the west where the emperor is. And at this point, the emperor is only a figurehead. And the Minamoto family is in charge in everything but, you know, the final rubber stamp. Well, it's not obviously no, not rubber at this point because there's no rubber. Um, not in Japan in, you know, 11892. So yeah, the emperor is only a figurehead, and the Kamakura shogunate would last until 1333, but it would not be the last shogun. You know, that's not the last shogun by a long shot. So we're almost at half an hour, so I think that's where we're going to end it for today. There's still a lot more to come, and hopefully it won't take me too long to prepare all these episodes, and so hopefully these will come out more or less on time so you won't have to keep waiting. I mean, it's not that there's any spoilers because this is history. So you can go find this stuff on your own. But please don't. I need the listeners. Please stay. Listen. And please remember to subscribe, like, rate, review, and share. Whatever else it is people do with podcasts. Follow over on Twitter at Just Another Cast to get little snippets of Japanese history in your Twitter feed. Find the podcast on Facebook as well. You can search for Just Another Jerk Podcast and find it. uh, You should find it pretty easily. Make sure you like it. And you can email me at justanotherjerkpodcast at gmail.com with comments, suggestions, or whatever you got. If you have some, you know, Japanese history fanfic, I'd love to read it. Maybe share it on the air. So, yeah, send that over as well. Although, I mean, seriously, I mean... If you do have Japanese history fanfic, who are the characters? I wonder. That'd be interesting. Hmm. I'm sure somewhere, someone, somewhere out in the world, maybe not a listener, but somebody out there has some sort of fanfic starring people from Japanese history. There's probably even some slash fic. Hmm. Anyway, leave you with that image. On that note, I'm out. Peace. <laughs>